0: Pastor Han and I together saw a lot of miracles uh, all the time, uh, all the time in different places at the police station. Uh, at, at a, at a, we'd be at a meal at a restaurant and God would give us a miracle. And then he started moving, moving them from the street into the church. And uh, we broke out and revival them in this Baptist church. And then we'd go to the other Baptist church and we broke out there. Then we went to another one and broke out there. And then we went to the next one and broke out. And then I finally preached in my first full gospel church. And uh, 50-something people get baptized for the Holy Ghost the first night. Uh, and one of them was John Staples, my son-in-law-to-be. And uh, so, I mean, God just did these crazy, just crazy stuff. And... Um, He continues to do it in my life now. Uh, I mean, it's not as vibrant, maybe not as loud as it used to be, but He continues to take me to places and show me things and let me see miracles a good bit. And I'm excited that I'm here uh, where I came from. Uh, I'm excited to be here today. I've got a word for you. Uh, I had some more word about a critical spirit. I feel like the Lord told me to tell you To judge yourself. Be tough on yourself. Be critical of yourself. But be merciful to others. This morning I want to share a testimony, a prophetic testimony. Uh, It's what it is. It would be probably less of a sermon than anything you've heard in a while, but it it's a prophetic testimony that God gave me last Thursday, I believe it was. And um, I felt like God told me to come to churches that had remnant-minded people in and it was, it, and, and release this prophecy on to them and encourage them and inspire them and infiltrate a mentality that has permeated in a lot of churches that I don't count. I don't count. Because I'm not visible. That I'm not valuable because I'm not visible. Now that's a lie. We know that. The body of Christ all count. We all count. Amen? I want you to understand my heart has been captured by Christ. My spirit man has been born again. But I am a man. I have lips of clay. So if you hear something you don't like, throw it out. Eat the chicken spit out the bones. Or if you're like me, eat the enchilada, throw away the bell peppers. I like to the taste of them but I don't want to eat them. Do you understand? So, so I have remember, I have lips of clay. Everybody say I have lips of clay. We all have lips of clay. That's why a critical spirit don't work. We have lips of clay. We're all human. Amen. So, is my visibility linked to my value in heaven? Is my visibility related to how valuable I am to God? I like to how to how. That's kind of cold. No. Is my visibility important? when I'm not called to be visible? Does that make me invaluable because I'm invisible or I feel invisible? Have you, have you thought about that before? Well, I can sing. Shouldn't I be the worship leader? Has God called you? Did He anoint you? I know a lot of singers... They can't lead you in the holy of holies. You have one that can do it. Uh-huh. Better leave her alone. Let her and let her operate. Amen. Well, I can preach better than Pastor Ballard, even better than Pastor Ann could. Out teach. Pastor Lane. Why am I not up there? I've heard that come out of people's mouths before. Have no calling, no anointing, they have a lot of head knowledge, and they can quote Scripture like the Son of God, but they can't live the Scripture. They live about 10% of what they can quote. God promotes faithful people. Amen. That don't mean you've got to be dumb. I'm not saying that. Or you, you don't work hard and you don't learn this stuff. But He promotes faithful people. Amen. Amen. So as you think about where you belong in the body of Christ, you've got to make an honest assessment of who you are what you're called to do, what you've trained for, and how faithful you've been. My sheep hear my voice and they do what I say, Christ says. How obedient have you been to Christ all these years? Have you let things draw you back from obedience and faithfulness? All of this goes together of where you find yourself in the body of Christ. So is my visibility related to my valuable? How valuable I am to God? No. Short answer is no. Why I know that? How many of you read through the Bible several times? Have you ever found anybody in the Bible that was basically invisible in the culture? But what they were and who they were in Christ or in God, and what they did that nobody knew about was as important as what happened in public? Oh, I have. Let's think about a few of them. And, and and I'm not going to go to these and read all this or I'll be here four days. First Kings 17, 8 through 24, an invisible, obscure widow sustains Elijah, then he raises her son from the dead. Nobody knew who... You know, widow, widows were considered some of the least in their culture. Did you know that? And of course... And, of course, the, she was a woman, so she was even more least in that culture. They treated them like chattel. And when you were a widow, it, you were even more invisible in the culture. But who did God choose to sustain Elijah? He didn't choose the one that had an abundance. He chose somebody that had great need, and he wanted to bless them because they planted a seed. In the right ground. You see? Not because she was great or, or any of that in the culture. She was invisible. But she was valuable. Look at, look at Lazarus. In and, and, and John 11, 1 through 46, you can read this later. He was obscure, maybe a beggar at one time. Possibly a victim of maybe leprosy, some say. Invisible. But in verse 11, Jesus calls him a friend. What? That's like the president of the United States, in importance, going down to a barrio or somewhere in in the gutter and finding somebody that's so depleted, they're, they're so Troubled and messed up that he points at him and says, that's my friend. Let me get you out of that. It's a big deal. He was invisible. But there's a savior of the world to Emmanuel, God with us. He was valuable. Think about it. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Who was he weeping over? Lazarus. He wept because Lazarus died. He wept because of the situation. Who did he raise from the dead that stayed dead longer than he did? Lazarus. Loose him of his grave clothes, let him go. See, Lazarus was that invisible guy but to Jesus, He was valuable. How many of you felt invisible in the kingdom of God before, in the church before? Raise your hand, be honest. I felt invisible. You have. I felt invisible. But God still used me because I stayed the course of my calling. What is your calling? You don't have to announce it you, you have to find it and be obedient to it. There's, that's where your valuableness is. Amen? Jesus even called him a friend. He called him a friend. That just blows my mind. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords called a beggar a friend. This has got to get in your spirit today because God wants me to release this to you. My grandmother, uh, Granny Ballard, she lived on, she started living, and she lived right next in, to the address where Altalina grew up. Uh, on, I think it was 17th or 16th place in the Mill Village. Hard concrete floors. Nobody knew her. But if you knew her, You loved her. If you knew her, you got to eat with her. And you always wanted to go back and eat over and over again. Because she could flat throw down. For all you non-rednecks, she could really cook, guys. My granny cooked. She could take the least and make the most. She was one of those folks. And she was a servant. And nobody knew her. But as I grew up and and became cognizant of the spiritual realm, I made made the the, um, conscience decision to reject it and ran from the God thing as a young boy. And my granny stepped up her prayers, and I told you before I would go into her house to eat and she'd be laying on the concrete floor, praying for me in a two-hour-old puddle of tears. Praying. And she is the reason that a whole generation, the foundation was dug up and relayed for the cause of Christ. From selfish, from uh, people that that, that believed that somebody should do something for them. Uh, you know... Uh, Poor, rejected, and because of my grandmother, a whole generation changes. In one generation, I might add, it changes. It begins to change. My sister Pam gets saved. My aunt on my mama's side got saved. Her husband got saved. He became a preacher in a holiness church. Things started to flop, even on both sides. And I believe it was because of the invisible prayers of my grandmother as an intercessor before intercession was popular. Before people talked about it and made it some kind of position. And I've always wondered, who's going to be near the 24 elders in Revelation, when it talks about the whole scene in heaven. Who's gonna be down there, not on the 65th row, looking through binoculars? Who's gonna? I believe it's intercessors that believed God for a nation, that, that trained their self to give up their life. And didn't matter that they were invisible, they knew that in Christ they were valuable. My Granny Ballard was one of those folks. She was a sweetie pie. Oh man, she was sweet. The man that led my Granny Ballard to the Lord was Pastor W.C. Sanders. Now Pastor Sanders was a holiness preacher up behind the projects in a little old bitty building. It, remember that building? And, and, and that, I believe they called it Emmanuel Holiness Church. And the women sat on one side, and the guys sat on another side. And they would get praise and worship going, and they would dance for three hours. You had to be an athlete to go to that church. You th- I'm not kidding you. And the women would be laying hands on the women, and the guys the guys, and the power of God would fall. And I mean, I've seen some things that were unbelievably athletic in that church. I don't know how they did it, y'all. They had pews, and I've seen young guys and older men run the backs of those pews and not fall down, and not fall down. I saw them dive out the second-story window, and I know there was red mud out there, and they would run back in worshiping God and not have red mud, all of them, and no blood on them. It was wild. They scared the fire out of me. But that was where my grandmama, that's where God chose to grab hold of my grandmama's heart and change her heart, get her saved. And Pastor W.C., the most humble pastor I've ever known, a great man of God that nobody knows, but he was known in heaven. And I guarantee you he was known in hell because he was such a man of God. But WC led my grandmama to the Lord, led her in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and through his quiet humility, he led her to grasp the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A lot of spirit filled people are hung up on just the gifts of the Spirit and they ignore the fruit of the Spirit. And they'll come in here with the fruit of the Spirit, the the, uh, gifts of the Spirit, but yet they got the fruit of the flesh most of the time out there. Wow, 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 wow. Am I right? God gave certain fruits. And my grandmother had those fruits of the Spirit. And her pastor had it. And that's just not something you put on TBN. Let's have them. Pastor W. C. Sanders come up here. He's a man that's just full of the fruits of the Spirit. I've never seen that on TV. But we should. I've heard well, have Brother So and so and so come up here. He's such a prophet, he can read your driver's license in your pocket without you taking them out. I've heard all that. They're talking about possible gifts are extreme but I've never seen anybody glorify extreme fruit of the spirit extreme humility extreme self-control extreme kindness extreme patience but I submit to you you're not spirit filled if you don't have the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit together in a sort of matrimony, working synergistically together. So he gets glorified. I just get used and get out of the way. And my grandmother had that because her pastor had that. And he modeled it to her. And Pastor W.C. Sanders is one of my heroes in the faith of all times because he walked in a spirit-filled way when it was hard to do, when everybody made fun of him. Called them holy rollers. They didn't have their own TV stations that, that that justified who they were like like we have. It was hard, and and Brother W. C. had a daughter named Jean. had several more daughters and a couple of sons. A son named Arnold, who pastored the church that um, uh, some famous evangelist uh, started in Texas, um, and. I mean, God used them. They all played several instruments. And I watched Jean and her future husband. They didn't know they were going to be married when I was in high school. In the 8th, ninth, 10th grade, I knew them uh, and on up. I knew them in grammar school, but I didn't watch them. But God started, Granny's prayers started working on me apparently. And I watched them. And I used to kind of make fun of them too holy rollers and all that, but I watched them and I admired their gumption. I admired them staying the course of who they were called to be in the middle of a public school. How many kids have the character to not let public school change them? 1%. 1% of them. It's like you, they, they throw you in to a a basket of vipers, you're going to get snake bit. And you either got to get the poison out of you or let the poison become a part of you. That's public school. I was in public school. I know what I'm talking about. You got to have character to resist what they're trying to put in you. But not many kids can do it. They'll, They'll let that thing become a part of them. So my grandmama, the intercessor, trained by Pastor Sanders... And God put his kids in my life to watch them. And secretly, they were my heroes. Kind of like Nicodemus and Jesus. Secretly, Jesus was Nicodemus' hero, but he'd get killed if he told anybody. I didn't have the character to fight off. I was a follower and not a leader at that age. It took character coming alive in me. And Pastor Han was the reason. Finally, I became a leader and not a follower. Now, I got the chance to preach in Johnny Hanby's church a few years ago. Holiness his church. And his wife, who's Jean, WC's daughter, was praying the piano. And she plays the piano like it's supposed to be played. I feel sorry for the piano. I want to get a towel and I want to get a fan because she just blows it up. And she's real humble. You know, you, she don't do all this stuff. She, she, uh, she worships God, but you can't tell. You think it's somebody back there with her like it's four or five people playing that piano. She can play it so good. And I got a chance to tell them what they meant to me and how I secretly admired them. And because of the way they didn't turn left or turn right, but they walked holy when they were in the hell of a public school, that I watched them and because I got to watch them, they planted a seed in me and they were invisible to everybody and ridiculed by everybody. But do you think that wasn't valuable to me? They're as valuable to me as almost anybody that's ever been in my life because they planted a seed in me because they were invisible, but yet they were valuable because they lived right. God had put them in that that situation because they had the character to walk with God in such a way that they would be a light in a dark place and not become dark with that dark place. Like most folks don't have the character. And they do it. I was one of those guys. I didn't have any character yet. Thank God Pastor Hand came along. Amen? So you've got... My granny and W.C. and W.C.'s kids and W.C.'s son-in-law and they're all as invisible as anybody you've ever seen, not seen. <laughs> invisible. They're invisible. Nobody knows them. But I guarantee you when W.C. Sanders hit heaven, the Bible says to be absent from the body, to so be present with Jesus. Yeah. I can see grabbing him up and saying, W.C., I love you. I love your faith. I love your humility. I love the fruit of the Spirit you walked in. I love the gifts you walked in. I love you, WC. And because of your faithfulness, because you didn't let people push you down from what you believed, and you stood up with great character, the Ballard family went from being hell-bound to heaven-bound in one generation. Because somebody who didn't care about being on a stage still stayed the course. And they didn't connect their invisibility with being invaluable. They knew that because they were doing the will of God, they were valuable in the kingdom of God. Whatever that will is, whatever that calling is, whatever part of the body you are, just because you're invisible don't make you invaluable to God. You be encouraged today. If you're in God's will, you're walking in the fruit, the gifts of the Spirit, in God's will. And you're not compromising out there at your job. You're not compromising in school. And you're staying the course. And you're being a man or a woman of God. It don't matter how old you are. God's going to see you and you're valuable to Him. And there's a promotion coming for you. You be encouraged you're valuable to God hallelujah Jeremiah 29:11 for I know the thoughts that I think towards you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope he was talking in the context there to people who were hopeless invisible in slavery But they were valuable. He saw them. They weren't invisible to him. They were valuable to him. And you're valuable today. You can't hide on the back row from God. You're valuable. I like what Jeremiah 31.3 says. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. you got to understand, he don't just love you and think you're all that and your potential is wonderful as a Christian. He thinks that about lost people. He loves lost people. You're valuable to Him. You don't have to be able to do what Pastor Han could do or what Pastor Lane could do or what Pastor Herrick could do. You don't have to be able to do what anybody else can do. Just do what you're supposed to do. It's that simple. The devil tries to make it complex, but I'm telling you, it is that simple. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. He sees you. You're valuable to Him. And I thank God our value must never be defined By visibility. There are missionaries I know who were big time that no one has ever written a best-selling book about yet. Nobody knows them. There's no movies about them. But were they valuable in the plan of God? Of course they were. I know missionaries who were rejected by denominational mission boards because they hadn't gone to their seminary for three years. Yet God had chosen them because they were valuable to Him. Let's read our main scripture, and I want to talk about with us for a minute. Mark 12, 41. I laid that foundation to give you this. This is what I really want to give you. But I wanted to testify to you what I'd seen and come to understand as a 65-year-old man. I understand how valuable each and every one of you are. It's important. That's the maturity of the body of Christ that everybody gets to play. Everybody. Mark 12, starting in verse 41. And I want to talk about what Jesus saw. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people... Cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. Now, what's much mean? It's an amount, right? And many times, amounts are more important to us than they should be, when what's most important to Jesus is the percentage. Ever thought about that? And there came a certain poor widow. And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. In other words, it's not even a penny. Not even a penny. Listen to this. Notice that nobody outside of God saw her. Nobody. When you say Jesus, well, Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel. Nobody saw her. I bet the Pharisees saw the guys that put in a $1,000. they didn't even notice her. They didn't know her name. We still don't know her name. We just know that she was a widow. And she gave everything she had. No, she didn't have a savings account at Regions that she could go back to. She gave everything she had. And God noticed that. In other words, she's not invisible to God. Even though she's a widow, which is a downcast person in, our, in the culture there, God noticed the widow, the nameless widow. He noticed what she did, how faithful she was. And, you know, you got the, apostles, the disciples there, and some of them got a prophetic anointing, supposedly. And they didn't call Jesus over there and say, Jesus, look what this woman did. None of them seen it. She wasn't valuable to them yet. You hear me? It's funny how much the disciples, before they matured, thought like Pharisees, isn't it? And Jesus is trying to break that junk up, isn't he? He calls them over and said, You missed something, boys. These people gave out of their abundance. In the Greek word, the, the widow gave out of her need. They gave a little bit out of what was abundant to them, but because of her need, she planted a seed that was everything she had, and it got Jesus' attention. She might have been invisible to the Pharisees. She might have been invisible to the rest of the fivefold ministry. She might have been invisible to what we call mature but Jesus noticed, it, noticed that she planted a seed for her need. Out of her poverty, the Greek says. Out of her very want, it says in that version, but it really means need. Out of her need, her poverty, she sold everything she had as a seed and got God's attention. We call that sweet spot giving in a little club of givers that I'm in. It's when you don't think you got it. When you got it planned for your boat, or you got it planned for a vacation, and God puts his eyes on it and says, No, that's mine. I want you to sow out of your need and not out of your abundance this time. I want you to do something I've never called you to do. You want to grow? You want to get noticed? She was valuable as a widow to Jesus, but she was more valuable as an obedient widow to Jesus. She never got up and shared the Word. She never led praise and worship. But she's in the Bible, and we're not. Some of us need to learn how to be obedient in our finances because Jesus talked more about finances than he did salvation. If you really want to get noticed, you're still going to be valuable to God because of your potential. But why not be valuable because of your obedience? Well, what? You're still valuable because of your potential. What you could be. Well, why not slip on in there and be obedient and be valuable because of your obedience? Why not do something crazy for Jesus? I mean, something just... My, my uncles, my red necked uncles from the valley, when they were alive, God rest their soul. You giving all that money, they bellered it when they said it. You're giving all that money to that there church with old Winnie Hand. You ain't never going to have nothing. You ain't never going to have a house paid for, no insurance. Never going to have a decent car. You have to park on the hill to get it to crank. And I did. I had to pop the clutch and get it to crank. But I started giving like a fool before I could afford it. And God honored it he noticed that I would be obedient with his money. It's not my money. This is for some, I wasn't even going to talk about money. I was just going to talk about the widow, but God wouldn't let me. Talking to somebody. And, you'll, and the devil will lie to you. You ain't never going to have nothing. No insurance. No decent car. No education. You keep giving that money. To that there church, that there was for emphasis. That's what I, I grew up in. Just because we God swapped the whole generation around on my mom on my dad's side, don't mean he did on my mom's side. And I had to I had, had to listen to that stuff, and I got ostracized for being obedient. Sometimes, do you understand? But God sees you. He knows your potential, and He knows your obedience. And you're a big part of what He wants to do in this church. And you are valuable. Not just for potential, but for obedience. I ought to speak to somebody. And he called the disciples unto him, he called those disciples, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow has cast more in than all which have cast into the treasury. Wow. Now check that out. That's when your thousand don't mean nothing because out of the heart you gave it. Now think about that. It don't mean nothing. It's the heart. Will you be obedient to what he says? For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want or need or of poverty, that's what it means, need or poverty, did cast in all that she had, even all of her living. She gave 100% because of the word of the Lord, even when she didn't get lauded for it. So if you don't get recognized on earth, what happens there? you get recognized in heaven. You lose your reward when you you get lauded on earth. She got recognized in heaven. Think about that. Was she valuable? Or was she invisible? Because she was invisible, invisible, was she invaluable? I want you to understand how valuable she is to me. I believe in in and, and multi-generational prophetic words. They might have been prophesied in the first century, but they're for me now. And when Jesus saw this in the first century, the first time I read this, I went, whoa! Because I wanted to be a better giver. Buddy Hammock had planted in me to be a better giver. He, he stood up and testified when we first started, and he said, and he had the biggest house payment in the church. I never will forget it. I, I couldn't even imagine it. I wasn't even making that much. And it was only about $600 and something a month back then. That was, that was a lot of money, you know. And Buddy stood up and he said, I just want to be the kind of giver that God wants me to be. I want to give more than my biggest payment to the world. That's what he said. And y'all, it grabbed my heart. And so from that day forward, I started looking for ways to grow in giving. Not to be lauded or rewarded here, but I wanted to be what he said. I couldn't say it like that at that time because I was still thought 10% was all it was. I thought that was the big time. I, I really did. And, and it got on me, and then I read this scripture here, and I said... That woman gave everything she had. And it convicted me. And it changed my life. So she was valuable to me, even though I don't even know her name. So was she valuable, even though she was invisible? You are too. You are too. And God's taking notes. Sound like Santa Claus. He said... He's taking a list. He's checking it twice. (laughs) You know, that's not what I'm saying. I just got to make you laugh a little bit. So so let's look at the position of this widow in Jesus. What the Word teaches. I'm I'm not going to go along with this. Write down Exodus 22, 23 through 24. ESV. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword and your wives will, shall become widows and your children fatherless. The Lord loves widows. He loves widows. Amen. Psalms 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. He's a protector, Miss Janet, of you. So let's, let's let me move on. I think I've, I've uh, I, I think I brought how important widows are. James: 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The Bible uses the word widow 81 times, 55 times in the Old Testament, 26 times in the New Testament. So it's obvious to me that this widow is very valuable to the Lord without very much visibility. All through the Bible, there's not much visibility about widows, even though it's mentioned a lot. It's warnings about it, but they are valuable to Him. So I'm telling you in in culture that if you feel like you're the lowest, even the church culture, you're still the most valuable. You're valuable. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. i got to tell you, this ought to put a, a, a hop in your step. I mean, you ought to, after today, you ought to think, well, I'm not invisible to God. You know, you ought to be walking like this, you know. God loves me. Yeah. He loves me. Amen. He wants to use me. You know, what up? <laughs> God loves me. Yeah. You ought to, you know, you got to start believing that Amen. without being behind a pulpit. The church shouldn't be like the world. The valuableness of every person in here should be celebrated. I don't want to hang around people that tolerate me. I want to hang around people that celebrate you. And I celebrate you today in Jesus' name. I celebrate you and you and you and you and you and all of you. I celebrate you. You're you're very much needed by the kingdom of God. And if we're going to be mature as a body of Christ, everybody's got to fit in and everybody's got to do their thing. And everybody, has got you've got to stop worrying about how visible you are and understand how valuable you are to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I celebrate you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to close. I'm just going to go ahead and close because I just want to get to what I really want to get to prophetically. (laughs) I always can't wait to get to the prophetic part. God started dealing with me about Huldah here recently, and she was a minor prophet um, in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1 and verse 1. And um, they had just come out of a hard time with Manasseh as king and and Ammon and, and Josiah was coronated as king when he was eight years old. And the cool thing about it, when he was coronated king, things got a lot better for God's people. When it started, it was like a reprieve. Some of you prophets, that word ought to deem you. And it was available to the remnant. And the cool thing about it I had a word several years ago that I believe that there's a reprieve coming and it could be up to 32 years. I, I believe that. And then I started studying this a little bit about, and God showed me about Huldah. And she worked at a college for women, a spiritual college for women apparently. And it was a possibility she was a widow. Now they talked about who her husband was, but he wasn't around at this time. And she was teaching women, which wasn't culturally acceptable, really. So, Josiah, apparently Josiah's mama was godly. Apparently he had that influence on him at eight years old. And, and, and uh, things started changing. Uh, I think it was eight years later when he was 16, he got a hold to the law, the book the Pentateuch. He got a hold to the Torah, he got a hold to all of that. And and Hilkiah, the priest, uh, brought it in and let somebody read it, and he got under conviction and said, we're not doing any of this stuff like we should. He had cleaned it up a lot, and he, they had, it started rolling into a reprieve from the ungodliness, the bell worship, the pornography, and uh, uh, burning the children, and all this. But uh, when he was about 16, he got under conviction when they read the word, and he tore his kingly robes and repented and humbled himself. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. what does that say? If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So this king, a 16-year-old king I might add, under the tutelage of his mama and the priest Hilkiah, tears his robes, and and he had, he had sent he and of course he had sent Hilkiah and the entourage to Huldah, and some people, in in what we call scholar realms, believe the reason he did that is because Jeremiah was out of the country. He was the man of the day, apparently, according to them, and. So they sent to this minor prophet, prophetess and she has the word of the Lord. And she tells him basically, because you humbled yourself and you repented, I'm going to give you all a reprieve. You're not going to see anything. She prophesied of what was going to happen to Israel. They were going to go into captivity. He was going to judge them and all that. Uh, but remember, judgment is for restoration. Wrath is for annihilation. Don't forget that. Not not, not wrath, but judgment. And he said, and and the prophet has said, the Lord said that he was going to do all this to, to Israel, to God's people, but he wasn't going to do it in his lifetime because he repented and sought after God and turned from his wicked ways. I'm not going to judge your nation while you're alive. But when he's dead, the judgment's falling. So how long did he lead God's people? 31 years. Isn't that wild that it's that close to what I thought? It could be up to 32 years. I believe we've got a chance for a reprieve. I believe it's multi-generational. I believe we've got a chance for reprieve for killing 80 million babies. For you godly people, if you'll humble yourself and pray and seek God's face and turn from your wicked ways, I believe He will heal your land. Yes. But if you don't, the hammer's gonna fall. We need to repent. And don't think because you're invisible your prayers are not valuable. Don't think because you're invisible that your humility and godliness and repentance is not valuable. You understand? You're valuable. The remnant needs to sow repentance so we can reap a reprieve. Sow repentance and reap a reprieve. That's what Josiah did. Now later on in his life, he got killed in a battle he wasn't supposed to be in. He might have went longer if he hadn't got out there and stuck his little old chest out. You know him hormones, him. Twenty-something-year-old hormones. You know he. You know they, they. They bad. You know, but you got Nico, who's been a king for a long time, and he's a bad joker, and he's gonna jump, go out there and jump on him. You don't. You don't. You don't jump on the baddest the first time you fight. You got to learn to fight. Ask Ronald. Ask Dexter. I mean. Can you imagine a white belt walking up to Dexter and slapping him inside the head? I got a guy at the sheriff's department. He come up to me and he's about 6'7, and he's 350 pounds, and he can bench press a truck. But he's a real humble, godly guy. And he comes up to me after one of the inaugurations, he said. Chaplain Ballard, I want to complain against Officer Rivers. I said, dude, you're twice his size. Why are you complaining on him? He said, shoot, they talked me into sneaking up on him and grabbing him. He had me hollering for my mama. <laughs> I said, what did he do to you? He said, he turned me into a pretzel. I said, how in the world he turned you into a pretzel? His arms are this big. I said, how has he turned you into a pretzel? He said, I don't know, but he got me. He said, I- mm-mm. I'm going to do that again. So you don't don't jump on the baddest. So it's time to learn to pray. Learn to repent. It's time to be quick to repent. It's time to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, not just in the gifts of the Spirit. And really be Spirit-filled. That's Spirit-filled when you put the fruit and the gifts together. And it's time to walk this thing out as a remnant of God. And if we repent, really, truly come together synergistically and repent. Some of these meetings just need to be repentance meetings. Probably need to have a month of repentance meetings, of consecration meetings. Because if you consecrate, He sanctifies. But you have to consecrate. You have to repent. And you'll see the reprieve of God You will see the reprieve of God because you are valuable as anybody I've ever known and you're not invisible to God if you'll do the right thing. If you'll repent and you'll be slow to anger, you'll be quick to repent and you'll do all these things that our first love, we go back to our first love, Jesus. We will get a reprieve, Pastor. We will get a reprieve because we are not invisible to God. Amen? That's what I have for you. I love y'all.